Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Jacob Heilbrunn, who is editor of the National Interest and one of our best loved Spectator USA contributors. And we're going to be summing up Trump's start to the year. Well, as always with Trump, Jacob, it's been quite a news cycle churning few days to begin 2019 from from Donald Trump. And the biggest story, it seems to me and to most of the media, I think, is the shutdown, which goes on and on. And it's a disagreement between the Democrats and Trump over the border, over the wall, funding for the wall and partly in other other border security elements. And it seems to be reaching boiling point and neither side is willing to budge. What's your take on it? I think Donald Trump has blundered badly in this shutdown. And it wasn't inevitable that he would. But now that he's backing off of the emergency declaration in the face of remonstrances from the House Freedom Caucus, as well as some Republican senators, he really doesn't have much of a hand left to play. And what he's been searching for all along is a fig leaf that he can use to extricate himself from this. He wants to create the appearance, not the substance of a wall. Now, I think the pressure is going to mount on the Republican Party. And the most interesting figure will be Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Mm. Well, the Republicans in in shutdowns before you, you both both parties kind of the reason they're doing it is because they think they can win the political argument. And I mean, it seems to me that the Democrats might not be on such strong ground as they think they are, in that people don't necessarily blame the president for a shutdown. They could quite as easily blame the Democrats who are balking at Trump's proposal. And he might actually be winning the media argument. I disagree, as often with you, Freddie, in a (laughs) conciliatory gentle but firm spirit. <laughs> I will take your words the point of the podcast? and reapply them. Okay. It occurs to me in listening to your diagnosis of the situation that Trump is afraid of losing this argument, whereas the Democrats believe that they can win. And that yeah. is the crux of this problem. In, in reality, the the 5.7 billion or 5 billion is that is a fairly trivial sum next next to the federal budget but the trump has elevated this into a cataclysmic battle freighted with moral significance so the democrats judging by the polls do have the upper hand the the most fundamental problem for donald trump i think is that he had two years of a Senate majority and House majority of Republicans and did nothing to construct a wall. Now Mm. that the Democrats control the House of Representatives, he has suddenly returned to his fixation with a wall. Do you think, I mean, a lot of people have said that the reason why his speech from the Resolute Desk was so underwhelming or flat was because now he has to be presidential in a way With a split house, he has to be presidential in a way that he hasn't had to be before 
and he's that doesn't come very naturally to him and in fact he looked a little bit perhaps we could say low energy behind the resolute desk well yes he he displayed irresolution over over the wall yeah if you remember he almost did sign off on on the, the bills that were sent to him by the senate that had been approved to fund the government i think Trump is is obviously in a pickle and it's only going to get worse. The advantage for him, I suppose, is that if he thinks that the Russia investigation or the and the Mueller report are are so, quote, horrific, as Rudy Giuliani apparently said, then you could sort of sketch out a scenario in which weeks or months more of this would be better than the alternative. But I do think that the pressure on the Senate and House Republicans will continue to mount. And the the question will be, does Mitch McConnell at some point crack? Does Because both the Senate and the House could overcome a Trump veto if enough Republicans decided to vote with the Democrats. But so far, that hasn't really happened. I mean, the Republicans are staying pretty loyal to the president so far, are they not? Right. Less loyalty than fear of what happens when he mobilizes the base against him. Yes. And what do you think, as for the next phase, Trump could just keep this going till March, April? I mean, will we start to if if enough? I mean, we're in Washington at the moment where there's probably a few hundred thousand, 400,000 federal employees who are going without pay. There's God knows how many others. What, I mean, do we start to see protests in the streets? Talk, let's talk about the Obama shutdowns. How long did they go on for and how well, bad did it get? It, it was never in this in this range. I think with this weekend, this will be the longest one in, mm. uh, in history, actually, uh, which Trump can claim as a negative accomplishment, I suppose. <laughs> Saving the government a lot of money. Right. At, at some point, the, they will simply have to concoct some sort of, a, uh, of, a, of an avenue out of this mess because the airports will start to shut down in the United States because the uh, Transport Safety Administration workers aren't being paid. Mm. In Miami this weekend, they're already shutting down one terminal. It's just a question of at what point does the American public get aroused enough to, uh, to actively complain? To, to lawmakers about what's going on. It becomes a little bit like Brexit for uh, British listeners. Some people are comparing it to Brexit, that, that we get to experience uh, what the chaos would be like. But unlike, I think Brexit, if you believe the doomsayers, and I don't know if you do, Freddie, because you tend to be quite incorrigible on this I matter. Tend, I tend not to believe the doomsayers. Um, if you believe the doomsayers, then everything comes to a halt in, in Britain and you have food emergencies, lorries piling up for miles. Uh, Supermarkets. Halt, yes, halt to, to air Instant. travel and so yeah. forth. But you'll still have the economist, which is loaded up on um, stock paper. So yeah, it. yeah. This would be cruel Britannia. <laughs> but but I mean, sorry to go back to the shutdown. I, I mean, it's similar in the sense that nobody can quite believe that the crisis will get to the stage that it might get to. No, because the, the administration has done everything it can to ameliorate the worst consequences so far. Yeah. But, you know, the interesting thing about it is that it does reveal Trump's incapacity to govern. 
he is an insurgent, an insurrectionist. Sam Tannenhaus, in his book, The Death of Conservatism, pointed out that conservatives have repeatedly launched coups against government from within government, which I think is quite astute observation, Mm. whether it's government shutdowns or the Iran-Contra affair. They they don't they actively revile government. And Mm. if you look at some of the posts today from conservatives, they're saying, well, we don't want these agencies operating anyway, and who cares if they're not getting paid and so forth. Yes. This is the kind of wrecking crew. Right. But again, I don't think that Trump had the constituency for that. There was an interesting quote in The New York Times a few days ago where one person said, Trump, I vote, I supported Trump. I voted for him, but he's hurting the wrong people. Mm. Example today, uh, Exhibit A was that farmers in Wisconsin and elsewhere are unable to get the subventions that the government gives them for for crops and as well for the the trade war that Trump had promised them. So but Trump, is, but Trump, however foolish you think he can be, he he hasn't made that mistake. He hasn't said, well, look, all these departments are redundant anyway. He's 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 made it clear that he thinks the the fault lies with the Democrats and. There's an argument there that you could say that it does. Of course, you could say anything, Freddie. You could say the sun <laughs> isn't going to rise tomorrow. You know that as well as I do. Yes. But but I, I mean, clearly, fault lies on both sides, because, nope. as you say, five billion is not an enormous sum of money by federal sp- spending I standards. I don't agree with you again. I don't think I think that's hogwash. There is no fault on both sides here. Mm. Trump has willfully decided to engage in a government shutdown to extort the funds for the wall that yes. he didn't get in the previous two years. But, and the, but the Democrats object to it on moral grounds, which they, and there they're on thin ice because uh, most of them have already voted for similarly harsh border measures. I don't, yeah, the immoral line is probably a tactical mistake on Nancy Pelosi's part, but I don't think it amounts to a hill of beans in the current context. Because mm. Trump did say that he would accept responsibility for the shutdown, and he repeatedly proclaimed 212 times, according to the Washington Post today, <laughs> that Mexico would pay for the wall. Now he is alleging, with his fanciful fabulism, that he never said this. Now, I don't mean to be dissing the president here unduly, Freddie. I just think forbid. that that. We are in a highly peculiar situation, and I just can't get my mind around the fact that it's dragging on like this. And I act—I don't see the benefit to Trump. I, I believe that he is willy-nilly creating, not deliberately, a schism in the GOP between his interests and the interests of the party. It is certainly in the interests of Trump to look tough. Mm. and appear resolute in this in this battle. But yes. for legislators who get the wrath of the voters firsthand and who don't aren't simply reliant or catering to the base as Trump is, it be- certainly becomes more perilous, particularly with the 2020 elections approaching. I think Trump has delivered a loaded weapon into the hands of the Democrats. And the longer this goes on, the worse it gets for him and the party. Well, let's let's then explore the I think it sounded to me slightly wild conspiracy theory. You mentioned that he could be 
pursuing the shutdown in order to distract attention from the, M- the Mueller investigation, um, which is which is rumbling on, and we we heard a lot towards the end of last year that it was it was wrapping up. We've heard slightly less of that, but perhaps because everyone's so focused on the shutdown. What do you think is happening there? Well, it's very interesting because there, you know, we keep hearing, well, we got the Manafort revelation this week that he had been funneling internal campaign data about polling to several Ukrainian oligarchs. And that was inadvertently revealed. Mm. And I'm not directly bearing on, on the investigation, but it's the fact that on February 7th, Michael Cohen, Trump's personal lawyer, has agreed to testify before Congress. Now, that could be a bombshell because he has he has nothing to lose at this point. Mm. Trump will be in conniptions before this. And what measures he'll take to try and deflect from Cohen's testimony will be will be fascinating to observe as well. Mm. And another little nugget of information that's quite interesting is this possibility that Ivanka is going to run the World Bank. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this was reported by Market Watch today, as well as the Financial Times. I think that the prospect of Ivanka becoming head of the World Bank is highly improbable because it, it is could be proposed by the United States, would have to be agreed to by, mm. the, by the other leading members, which is never going to happen. But again, it's a sign of just how threadbare the, the cabinet is of the Trump administration at this point. They really have very few people that are willing to serve in the administration. I yeah. noted the other day that, I mean, Trump has acting attorney general, acting defense secretary. He said the other day, I like acting, which may have been a Freudian slip. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so that, I mean, the turn of, in terms of staff churn, I mean, it's possible we could have just sort of temporary people in these rather important jobs for the rest of for the rest of the the administration for the next. Well, two years. I think I think they're limited to six months before before they have to get approval from Congress. There was yeah. a fascinating statistic today from the Brookings Institution. Trump, another record presidential record that he has set, 83 percent turnover in his administration so far. Yes, although I think Reagan's was pretty high, wasn't it? Not in, not in that. No one's, no one's even. The, Trump is the Babe Ruth of turnover. But, I mean, but, the, but you know, the Trumpists would say, that, you know, a radical presidency, it's disruptive, and that's that's what goes with the the turf. How's that working out? Well, I mean, the, up until recently, the economy's been going pretty well. I think diplomatically, you could say he achieved something in Korea. Something in Korea. Well, he made a breakthrough. And in fact, at the time, uh, I, I hasten to recall, you said it was a major significant breakthrough. He pulled a rabbit out of a hat, so to speak. I thought it was a good to establish diplomatic re- or or not diplomatic relations, but well, some form of diplomatic relations and to end the the military confrontation that he was heading towards. But since then, Trump really has accomplished very little, if nothing. And I also thought that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's address in Cairo yesterday was farcical. Yeah, it was it was neoconservatism without the idealism. Yes. Claiming that we would expel every Iranian from Syria, for example, and that we are we are simply a crusading force for good in the Middle East. These and, and then ending with prayer. I mean, these 
again, the Trump administration offers platitudes and sweeping assertions, but there seems to be very few accomplishments that I can discern. Well, let's talk about the Syria withdrawal, because, I mean, it seems to me this is another sort of way in which the Trump presidency is unreal. So he speaks to his base by saying, we're getting out of there, we're we're bringing our boys home. You know, enough of these endless wars. Trump started tweeting about how pointless all these endless wars were. That speaks a lot to Trump voters and to the conservative base, increasingly disillusioned conservative base. But then it doesn't actually happen. I mean, Afghanistan rumbles on and Syria, I think there's a there's a there was the post reported that the drawdown has begun, but it's begun in a very it's not in the way that Trump suggested it would be on December 19th. It's it's not immediate. It's very different. And then you have Pompeo taking a rather different line than the president. So, it, I mean, in a sense, Trump is surrounded by by neocons, as you say, neocons without the idealism, perhaps. And yet he, he's his rhetoric is that of a of a dove. Or at least yeah, a, a that's, realist. that's quite true. And it is interesting. I was never fully persuaded that the Syria pullout would, in fact, take place because they started temporizing on it almost immediately after Trump's tweet announcing that that we were going to exit. And even though they did begin some minimal exit today, if that is what it is, it's, mm. it's very hard to know. Is it just a, for the for the State Department, say, and for defense, the, the civil servants sort of bureaucracy, just the actual the idea of stopping the war is so, so dramatically quickly is so damaging and, and terrifying to them that they 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 actually will never let it happen. Yeah, I think that's well, whether they'll never let it happen is another issue. If you had a president who was more focused and had created an actual policy. Mm. Rather than simply issuing ex cathedra announcements on Twitter, mm. then then you might have a more sustained follow through. Right now, you have different branches of the administration that war with each other. Mm. And so you think just eventually the American public will just start to realize that when Trump says these things, they're not actually grounded in any truth at all. I think think that that's already become pretty clear. Again, if you look, I don't have the exact poll numbers in front of me, but the even among Republicans, the people who believe that Trump utters untruths seems to be pretty high. Yes. Trump is a sort of a chicken dove rather than a chicken hawk. Well, I don't even know if he's a chicken dove. It's just that his attention span is so limited and he's so focused on, for example, on the border now that his minions are going to seek to undermine him, such as John Bolton, who, who made it clear he has no intention of allowing a pullout to occur from Syria. Well, quite. Jacob, I think we'll wrap it up there. But thank you very much for joining us. And I hope we can disagree some more in 2019. Absolutely, Freddie. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer. And we'll even throw in a spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer. (laughs) 